Welcome to Keeping Your Together in a Stressed World with Michelle Post and Scott Grossberg. Each week, we explore down and dirty ways to stop awfulizing, catastrophizing, going down the rabbit hole, and moving through all the craziness that is happening right now. We're here to create a community of like-minded people as we give you tips, tricks, and techniques for keeping sane in an unhinged world. And now, here are your hosts, Michelle Post and Scott Grossberg. Hey, everybody. This is Scott Grossberg, one of your co-hosts for the podcast, Keeping Your Shit Together in a Stressed World. And I'm here with my pre-storm co-host, Michelle Post. <laughs> I'm the post. I'm the post-storm co-host. You're the pre-storm co-host. I'm the post-pre-storm. <laughs> my, last, my last name. Oh, that's very the funny. Post-pre-storm. Oh, that's right. <laughs> Yes. So you guys have a story. So we just had a storm move out of uh, California, California and, and, and it was uh, it was not what it was made up for. It, it didn't turn into what we were led to believe it would be in our area. There were wow. certainly areas. Somebody just showed me uh, two days ago pictures from their home with we're, we're talking house sized uh boulders that had come down from the mountain in this storm so it certainly was a storm here in california you guys have a huge one coming in there right yes yes so yeah one's headed towards florida jacksonville uh wednesday night so we'll see how we do okay well (laughs) we are all wishing you well thank you knock on wood it'll be Um, survivable today we have a show about fair play and we'll get to that in a minute Uh uh I had something happen oh. uh, last week after our last show that I thought it's really disturbed me. And and okay. I don't, right? Most of the time I, I can practice You're pretty my nonplussed. Little equ- mm-hmm. equ- equanimity and I can say it's not personal. Yeah. Um, but twice in the same week, two <gasps> different locations, two different um, speaking gigs. Oh. Uh, I had I had two people after the seminar, after my presentation, come up and want to talk to me. And, you know, here again, I don't I'm going to be really blunt here. I don't give a rat's ass what your what your uh, <laughs> political preferences are. I, I don't okay. give a rat's ass about your your faith, your belief, your philosophies, as long as we're all out there doing no harm and we're all attempting to get along. Right. And okay. I say, and I say, I don't give a rat's ass tongue in cheek because I do. <laughs> okay. But, I, but I, you as, don't. I aspire to not. You aspire to not. Okay. Um, th- th- that said, um, I had two different people come up to me and it was such a blatant display of rejecting and opposition to the concepts of diversity, equity, and inclusion. Oh, ouch. I mean, like in your face, and they they were asking me my opinions. They weren't attacking me. They were Ouch. saying, how do I manipulate this? How do I move through this? Because my personal freedoms are being infringed on when someone wants to identify as he, she, them, and they use a different pronoun. They they want to, they, they were biologically identified as male, and they want to wear a dress and high heels. Um, and those were the two examples, by the way. And the challenge that I'm having is both of these people are in public service and they're relatively high up. And it's like, 
are you seriously are you seriously telling me you can be here in California and struggle with and 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 individual freedoms and choose to be in public service uh-huh. and I won't identify who they are but choose to be well, in public good. choose to be in public service and and stand here vehemently telling me that your personal freedoms are being impinged on because someone Else wants to wear a dress their personal freedoms well it, it, yeah someone else's it, personal freedoms are impinging on your personal freedoms no is, it, is well, the belief. it's well they don't want to have to use pronouns that yes. they don't want to use yes they don't want um, one of the one of the scenarios that was proposed was that someone Ouch. who looked male went into the female bathroom uh they don't think that's the right thing to do and i said well just don't go in the bathroom while they're in there right right it's like and the I, doctor and, it hurts and, when and, i raise my arm like this well don't raise your arm like that you know and that's kind of what i was getting at with this it's like come on folks let's use our common sense you, you know i don't know about the rest of the world but common sense I, i'm common. from Cal i'm from california where we have <laughs> concerts lots of concerts lots of and and i can tell you what every single concert i've ever been to winds up with at some point the women will go into the men's bathroom oh yes and use it thank god i don't i don't see any of the men in there because architects only, are mostly male nobody <laughs> but, but but do you and even to the point where i've seen men jealously guard the stalls so that the women can come in and get privacy and use it i know and yeah, it's why, like, I, why and can't we do that? And so it's like, how is any of this hurting anybody? Is I what know, I guess I'm, I'm, true. I'm really struggling with right now because these two individuals, to give them their due, this wasn't. I mean, they weren't screwing with me. They, it wasn't bullshit. They weren't just having right. this they fun little serious. time. They were truly bothered by this. Yeah, believing their personal freedoms. And then I had to go through, I had to put my lawyer hat on, although I'm not yes. their lawyer. I had right. to put my lawyer on, hat on as a teacher and explain to them, you can talk a lot about personal freedoms, but do you understand you actually don't have them, <laughs> right? right. We right. To live in a country like, like we live in, you have to abide by traffic laws. You're, right. You can't drive anywhere. Right. And on any times. side of the street, you don't have personal right. freedoms in that regard. You can't engage in hate speech. Right. You can't walk into it. And the standard one is you can't walk in to a crowded theater and yell fire. Right. You it's not. And, and when I mentioned these different scenarios to them, their eyes started glazing over. It's like, oh. uh, I don't get that. Yeah. And so then how, how is that not how is that the same? kind of glazed over how is that the same with what my problem is yeah is i mean it was mean? just a yeah. com complete disconnect right and so yeah. um you know that I, I explained to them you know you don't have a right to drive a car it's a privilege uh-huh uh-huh and yeah. i think that ultimately gets me to where my big concern is is how did we who are so privileged here in the states yeah get to the point where we think it's a, we're entitled to things well my oh my is this not the perfect topic for you to bring up as we're going to talk about fair play because there's a lot of things that we have a view of privilege about that are really myths 
especially when it comes to gender lines. And it's interesting. Um, I'm going to talk a lot about gender lines today, but we're starting off with the challenge uh, for people who are transgendered. And, and, you know, the thing that I like to tell people about is there are biological examples of middle sexed people dating back centuries and centuries, you know, people being born with mixed genitalia or mixed uh, genetics mm-hmm. or, um, you know, a non, non-transcended um, testicles that are in the place of over, like it, there's a lot of things that happen and we've all had that present, but there's something about this time where people are so outraged that a person might also feel like they're a different gender than their biology has assigned. As someone in the mental health field, help help me understand where the lack of tolerance comes from. And I know this is a deep question and I know it It goes beyond the show, but it's, it's, I'm not even asking it rhetorically. I, I was so taken aback by just how in the in my face these people were and not willing to admit the fact that even in their own worlds they don't have all this freedom they talk about right Right. and it's a very it's very blind put blinders on mindset and i keep going back to uh and i think that by the way this will tie into the show today i i've always loved cirque du soleil and i've loved the organization and the way they put Mm -hmm. it together when you realize that they started in quebec and it was a very french canadian Mm -hmm. approach and then it became international Mm -hmm. and i remember reading an article with the director of human resources for lack of a better way to call him i can't speak french so i'm not going to use the Mm -hmm. title and the question was asked you must have a lot of conflicts within all the different shows with all the different personalities and all the different and he said and but well he said that we do Mm. he said but here's the difference Mm -hmm. he said the problem is there will be disagreements but they don't speak the same language yes so somebody will get upset and then they'll do something do or say something and the other person literally can't translate it and Mm -hmm. so they have to step in Mm-hmm. And it beca- it becomes literally their job to sort out the misunderstanding, mm-hmm. quite yeah. literally. <laughs> and he said, "We have one rule." He said, "We go back to what was said, yeah, or what was done, and yeah. we ask one simple question: Was there an ill spirit behind it? Ah, was there an ill spirit behind it? Right? Okay. Did they do uh-huh. it to be mean? Did yeah. they do it to hurt somebody? Right." What an amazing, right? Nice what an amazing way. So, track, yeah. Um, to, you know, again, it's a way for them to deconstruct an argument where literally people uh-huh. are not speaking the same language. Right, right. And to sort it out by going, they didn't mean it the way you yeah. took it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think um, someone told me... Um, but it, it's very much about personal experience. When you have met, loved, interacted with, made friends with, break, broken bread with someone of difference from you, it doesn't matter, mm-hmm. uh, creed, race, uh, social, economic status, um, gender, gender, you know, sexual orientation. When you've broken bread with someone over and over again, 
who has a certain struggle, it's really hard to then not be empathetic. If, if you have a good heart, it's really hard not to be empathetic and to have a good insight on what is this person's experience. And I would say that the people that probably came up to you um, have not had a personal experience with someone they love struggling with gender identity. Because once you've had that happen in your life and you hear the pain and the suicide rate and the depression and the anxiety and, and that if people would just accept me for being me and why do I have to pick a label or define myself in any way? Why can't I just be me? Right. Um, then, then you begin to realize, yeah, aren't we all just trying to be me? Aren't, you know, those of us with a good heart, I mean, there are exceptions to the rule. There's a small percentage of us that really are all about themselves and don't really care about other people. But most of us, I would say, care about other people and they're lacking the personal experience to understand um, that person's pain, be it religious freedom yeah. or, or any other kind of freedom. Well, and then I wonder, by the way, I'm being really transparent here. Um, and then I wonder, maybe I'm not being empathetic enough to the people who started complaining about Maybe. it but then it then it becomes a vicious cycle and right. it reminded me and you me want by, to be an ally too you and, know yes and it doesn't so, serve people in public office to take a stand um like this that is so not in california well yeah very yeah um, <laughs> not in any so, major city <laughs> so it, it reminded me and i think this will be a good segue into more of the discussion today for you um it reminded me of a song i've always loved called a little more like me from kenny uh -huh. rogers uh -huh. it's known as the crucifixion by the way that's the oh. name of the song oh. and part of the, the part of the lyrics are he was a little weird and we all feared he wasn't one of us oh, he yeah. didn't smoke he didn't drink and he didn't even cuss <laughs> And, and, and again, it's like one of these things. It's like, I know we like people who are like us. We do. Um, how do you take this, right? And now translate it into a relationship and get fair play. I'm going to turn that over to you with that open-ended yeah, yeah. question. With the understanding, yeah. I come from the... I warn you now, you, you think we've disagreed on other things? <laughs> I'm a big believer in the David Bowie... Uh, labyrinth approach to the term fair play where where Jennifer Connelly in the show goes that's not fair that's not fair and David Bowie eventually says fair you keep using that word a lot I wonder what your basis of comparison is yes okay I turn okay, it great. over to you all right so this topic came it was inspired by the book called fair play uh, the subtitle is a game-changing solution for when you have too Much to Do and More Life to Live by Eve, Eve uh, Rodsky. Um, Eve Rodsky is a Harvard Law School trained attorney, and she wrote that book. And then there is a documentary about the book called Fair Play on Hulu, free to stream and other places. There's also a Fair Play deck, which is a couple's conversation deck uh, for prioritizing what's important. Um, where it helps couples list, you know, of all the hundred main tasks in any major relationship, how do we divide those tasks fairly, not equally, fair is different than equal. Okay, so um, now this show and this topic applies mostly to people who are in 
It's, it's mostly for people who are in a relationship or want to be in a relationship, particularly if you are in a heterosexual relationship or particularly if you have children in that relationship, young children that live at home or even grandchildren that come and live with you, wink, wink. <laughs> so that being said, um, Eve is rolling along as her attorney, you know, consultant self and was out at some fundraiser with her and nine other of her female friends. And in the course of 30 minutes, she started to document that those women received 30 phone calls, 46 text messages over the course of 30 minutes. And nine of the 10 women left the, the event after 30 minutes saying that they had left their husbands basically with too much to do. And this inspired Eve's research on the gender division of labor, which has a variety of different names. You might see it called the second shift or emotional labor or mental load or invisible work. And I want to define it for our audience. Um, mental load is basically the cognitive and emotional invisible labor that's going on daily when someone is managing a household or taking care of a family. So it's, it's tracking all the things that need to be done or have been done or are to do. It's knowing that sort of executive functioning of keeping a household running. Um, even when someone maybe does the tasks, one person seems to have maybe the mental load of knowing what needs to be done and then delegating. So it's basically like you're the CEO of your own home kind of thing. Um, but uh, another, another definition that may be important to highlight so that we're all talking the same language is um, from 1986, a sociologist named Arlene Kaplan Daniels defined what's called invisible work. And it, it, invisible work is um, the concept that if women are the ones doing it and it is in the domestic fear, sphere, it benefits society if we devalue it or consider it worthless because then we don't have to pay for it and we can either have women do it or we can pay and undervalue women of color to do it. So this is very deep, okay? Um, and then the some statistics that, that sort of shocked me is that uh, about 93% of childcare workers are all women. 45% um, of childcare workers are black. Asian or Latina, and on average, childcare workers earn less than $13 an hour. Okay. And then uh, Dr. Stuart Friedman, who is the founder of Work-Life Integration Project and a professor, professor at Wart, uh, Wharton School of Business, he had a couple of, of good quotes. You get paid less if you care for babies, or old people than if you're involved with the work of people in the height of their prime. And that sets us up for some failure. And, and then we've noticed that it's been snowballing as the decades have continued, like despite improved technology in the home and despite um, women being more in the labor force as well, American mothers, all this data is on American mothers, spend more time today on childcare and domestic work than moms in the 1960s. Really? Yes. Wow. Yes. And so um, just really, so part of the, part of the issue is about asking for help. 
right, when you're overloaded. And so uh, Dr. Lakshman, who's an assistant professor of psychiatry at Georgetown University School of Medicine, she was quoted as saying that in America, we have this illicit sense of shame and a feeling of weakness when we ask for help because we'll be burdening other people when it's not their responsibility to take care of us or to help us. And it's not just an internalized shame, it's rooted in public policy, um, this rugged individualism that we so value in America, this sense of personal responsibility. And yet there's these unrealistic conflicting expectations that moms do everything and help everyone else, but are suffering so much in the process. They're really open. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to interrupt you here with two things yes, real please. quick. One, I, st I still would love to, to know your definition of fair play, which implies that there is unfair play. Yes. Um, and number two, I'm presuming that this actually isn't just about fearing or running away or kicking the can down the road because you don't want to impose on somebody else we've talked about this before right it's the the concern of asking or the fear of or the pushback to asking for help because right. you don't want to be seen as weak exactly exactly like men are affected by that too right it's why we see men going to the doctor less often men uh, taking advantage of psychotherapy and coaching less often because there's this, and it's not just like a societal pressure on men. Sometimes it's also women's view of what is a manly man? What is an attractive man? Is this powerful provider who picks himself up by the bootstraps and doesn't need help and doesn't show, you know, fear or sadness, you know? So it's, it's a systemic issue that is reinforced by both men and women. Right. That, and because of that, there's this shift in how we treat men and women and it's affecting us in the home in a, in a great level. So, 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 for so example, let's, 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 before we delve deeper into that, and I know I opened a, a kettle of fish, but what is fair play? What does that mean? So it, it means taking a look at all of the invisible work to run a household and dividing up those tasks, prioritizing those tasks and dividing them up in terms of like the amount of time that it takes and what is manageable for one person's time versus another person's time. For instance, like um, in the research that, that Eva did or Eve did, she found that there's a, there's a ongoing thing that we do with men's time, that it's men's time is treated as finite and valuable like a diamond. And women's time is treated as endless and less valuable, like sand. And so women are taking on more and more and more, even when they are working, e even when they are in the workplace. So there's some data behind it that I think before we go into why does this matter, we have to look at the history, right? Like, so when we talk about, <clears throat> let's take a whole other subject, when we talk about white privilege in the world, right? You think, oh, well, you know, that's from slavery. And some people were like, that's what my parents were never slave owned. But we forget about institutionalized redlining that happened just in the previous century that prevented people of color from buying houses and being able to accumulate wealth in the same way. And so we have to look at the origins before we can figure out, you know, because it's not like 
somebody's out there consciously being evil and not doing their fair share. Um, but you start by, so the, the history was sort of, um, Eva created a, should I do spreadsheet and started asking people to text her anything that takes them two minutes or longer that women do. And she ended up with 98 tabs and 2000 items of things. And then uh, in the division of labor research, what we found is that um, men have a tendency of over-reporting that they do about 50% of running the household when they're actually doing about 35%. Oh my and God. I, I, report. I, I got to tell you, I, and yeah, I, as you were talking, I was going back at the height of my law career. Yeah. I was maybe doing 10% at the house. Yes. yes. Right. And now, rightly now, so. Uh -huh. And now, now that I've removed myself from uh, practicing that law, yeah. I'm doing more and, and yes. so yes so i i guess it's as yes. you were saying that i'm starting to notice that um yeah and the the difference is that there's also with this running of the household on top of working we, we have to understand that the average american configuration of a household the dominant configuration of the household is a dual earner couple with kids so we're not talking about one partner that is stay at home anymore. That is that is not the dominant configuration of the U.S. It's two full-time jobs, one person and, and one full-time job at home running the household and the kids. And what we found is that when women were doing more, what they found is when women were doing more of the household work, um, they were not getting the stress reduction and the reduction of cortisol at the end of the day, which was leading to the stress gap between men and women and an increase in depression, sweating, weight gain, headaches, anxiety, insomnia, digestive problems, and concentration problems among married women. And, and then we also saw some data, married men, it's well-documented, married men live longer than single men. But what's less known is that married women have a lower life expectancy than single women. <laughs> so somebody is benefiting from this relationship and someone is being harmed by the relationship. And what you want to look at, like, of all the Fortune 500 companies still out there, there's only 10% of them that are female. 70% right. um, of all top male business leaders in the world have a stay-at-home spouse. Yet the majority of women nationwide are actually breadwinners for their families. Um, some of the most recent data shows that 84% of Black moms are the breadwinner. 67% of Native American moms are the breadwinner. 62% of white moms are the breadwinner, 60% of Latina moms are the breadwinner, and 44% of Asian moms are the breadwinner, and yet they still have the propensity of work at home. So, so are you, are you that, before you get to the conclusion of that, I, I yeah. want to make sure for the listener, because I'm, I'm playing yeah. the role of the listener right now. Yeah. Are, are you suggesting that when I grew up, right, men are men are from Mars, women are from Venus. Roles. Uh -huh, sure. Are you suggesting that those roles have e are changing, or, yes. or are you uh -huh. suggesting that those basic tendencies that we that we've identified back in the day are simply expressing themselves differently? I am the first, the first that you said. All right, so we're that evolving the as a community, and that it is. So one of the quotes was. Um, one of the quotes from a scientist that a male scientist that Eve spoke to, he said, Eve, if I could convince, if, if men could convince women that they are better and more efficient and effective at wiping butts and doing the dishes, 
What does that do for men's careers, their golf games, their tenures? If I can convince you that you are better at doing this invisible unpaid labor than I am, like you're a better nurturer. That's one of the myths. You're a better nurturer. You're more capable. What does that do to help me maintain my position of power? So it comes down to significance then. Sometimes it's significance, but it's also what we saw in the real data was a change from World War II. So if you remember, and this was from uh, Dr. Pamela Stone from Hunter College, in World War II, women were called in the workforce in large amounts to make up for men who were at war. But because they had a dilemma of who's going to take care of the children, the solution was that child care centers in 1942 popped up everywhere. And we were spending as a country a billion dollars a day on child care because it was government subsidized. And then the men came back. And women were dismissed. So we went back to the 1950s where you had the classic leave it to beaver, women at home and men in the workforce. And then in the 60s, we saw women were starting to go back to work. About 37.7% of women were working outside the home. And it slowly grew. Every five years, it grew like a percent here, percent there. 1970s, we were at 43%. Um, By 1980, Mm -hmm. it was 52%. 85, 54%, 1990, it was 57, sorry, uh, 54%. Then 1990, it was 57.5%. And then it plateaued. And what we saw is for women to succeed in the workforce, uh, Dr. Friedman said they were often taking off their wedding rings during interviews, but fatherhood was seen as a benefit. They, oh, you have a family to take care of, you get raises, you get promotions. But as women's labor force kind of stopped, you know, kind of ended around 60% of women working outside the home, they started looking at what, what was going on there. And Dr. Prados from USC and her research, she was highlighting that the return on investment for higher education was higher for men than it was for women. So like in 96, if you went and got yourself as a man, a higher education, you could boost your average income from 25,000 to 46,000. But the average woman was not seeing those kinds of returns. So now the average woman is higher educated than the average man, but still the pay is 20% lower when you know, they're still a, making 82 cents on the dollar. For uh, same and work. I want to I underscore this again, coming from the legal profession, um, mm-hmm. the beauty of that, at least the, the, the law firms that I grew up in and then had my own. Yeah. It's, it didn't matter how you identified it was here's the pay structure right you get yes. paid according to your ability and yes. length of service yes. that said i have seen particularly with clients and you know now out in the world and i've said this many times but I, i'll say it again i believe firmly that we continue to live in a structurally outmoded society yes yes and that because of what you just said michelle that yes. we continue to push people with an assembly line mentality. Yes. And we don't have those anymore. And no. yet it benefits the primary male, alpha male, right? I'm yes. stronger than you. Oh, me, me go out, find food. <laughs> you yes. you cook, right? You we go cook. back to we go back to that old, don't you remember as, as a kid seeing the, the caveman grabbing the, the female by the hair by and the dragging hair. her along? I do. And I'd, yeah. I'd like to believe that we have 
gotten and are moving and are transforming better. And then I run into the people like I ran into this week and it's like, you're a troglodyte. Really. You're a troglodyte. Mm -hmm. So if, uh, I was in a second gender class at UCLA. I want to say like circa 1994, let's say. And back then women were making 76 cents on the dollar. That was the national average in the United States. It is now 2023. So we are talking about 30 years later and we've gone from 76 cents on the dollar to 82 cents on the dollar. So in 30 years, equality has raised six cents. Yeah, six cents. So now why is that? Well, part of it is that uh, with the advancement of technology, that 40 to 60 hour factory job or whatever, there's no boundaries around working hours anymore. So that's one of the big problems in, right. in work life for, for all people in the United States. There's no boundaries. You're working longer hours. What else? There's not as much community support. We move around all the time. So we're not with extended levels of cousins and family that can help with these kinds of things. And then, uh, in, and then what, what we're seeing is that in some cases, uh, women are either pushed out of the working world by pressure from their husbands, or, you know, if they're making 82 cents on the dollar for equal work, well, you're going to be making less, so you should stay home, right? I can make more. So there's that. And then there's also how hard it is to work and have children. So it's, you know, it's got to be incredibly challenging. And I say yeah. that, I say that now that your grandkids periodically come and stay with us and visit and they have, you know, sleep yes. overnights at grandma and grandpa's yes. house. And it's like, oh my God, this is a lot of work. I don't remember yes. the kids. I, Scott, don't remember the kids <laughs> being like this growing up. Well, it's because I wasn't freaking here. Right. Right. And, and your kids are close enough to you that they get to benefit from having the support of grandparents who aren't working and have more time on their hands. Many people are so global that they're away from their yeah. parents and their grandparents, and they're not getting that support. So you're, you're stuck, right? And then we've got these toxic time messages that are in our society. One is my job is more flexible and I like, I make less money. So I still need to do all the home management and the childcare in addition to my job because I make less money. And then number two, I'm a better multitasker when what we know is there's actually no gender differences in the brain about the ability to multitask. So all of that stuff, if, if, if women you're out there and you're being convinced that you're better at multitasking, that is a lie. Um, it just serves someone else to believe that lie. Um, then a third time lie is it's quicker if I just do it myself. How many times have we all fallen short of that? Whether you're running a business. Oh, I, this or, is what I, I constantly am working with people on delegating instead of doing it yourself. Yes. Because if we, if we, fool ourselves into thinking in the time it takes me to teach and train this person how to do it, I would just be done with it now. But you, what you're doing is you're trading your future hours saved from whatever, wiping butts, doing dishes, writing legal forms, whatever. You're saving your future right. time by a short run savings. And so let's move into solutions, knowing the time. So number one, if, you're, if this is sounding at all familiar in your home, <laughs> talk about it within your household. So have a conversation. Um, if you're not feeling like your time is as valued, 
or you feel like a lot of freedom and choice is, is given to your partner with what they do with their day, but your time just feels like it's treated like it'll never run out and you're just exhausted, have a combo. So let me back up here for a minute, because I think that we we're missing a significant, a significant piece here. Okay. And as a couples counselor, I think you're, you're the perfect person for me to ask this question. Okay. And that is great. Michelle wants me to go have a conversation, uh-huh. but how do I even broach the subject of this role, this role transformation slash reversal slash, Hey, you're not, a, I don't need you to be an alpha male. I need you to be a partner. Well, number one, go, go read the, watch the documentary. If you don't have a lot of time, read the book. If you, you know, have a little more time. The deck of cards, the cards looks amazing. The cards Get look the amazing. Deck of cards, you know, where you can start having conversations about this, right? If you need a therapist to help you work on this, go see a therapist or go see a coach um, that works on couples, time management and stuff. Just don't do it yourself. Don't take it on all by yourself. And if you're a male partner listening to this podcast somehow somewhere talk to your partner about it I think we should watch this documentary together how do you fit your relationship is going to be so much more improved (laughs) and you're going to feel better about your contribution to the family because yes you can hire somebody to go take your child to the pediatrician and hold their hand but if, if you have children at that age there is something that is intangible and invaluable about being the one holding your child's hand at the pediatrician's office. And as a therapist, I rarely have people sitting in my office talking about how mom or dad didn't make enough money. They talk about quality time, feeling like they were loved, feeling like they mattered, feeling like they weren't a bother, feeling, you know, connected. So really take a look at all this systemic stuff about buy, 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 house, 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 car, 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 you know, whatever. And look at your family values because there's plenty of people lower on the SES working level that value quality time and their children come out much more adapted. Um, So have a conversation. And then from the conversation, develop a family plan and a calendar and your values What are some financial or organizational systems that you can get in place so that people have a job that they do from start to finish, you know, that they, they're responsible for. So it's not like no nagging, no reminding, just, this is your job. You calendar it, you do it just like you would if your boss assigned you something, but if this is our household assignment. And you take care of this. I've task. got this. You don't have to remind me three months from now. I'll yes. get it done in four, right? Yes. <laughs> yes. And then step three, I really loved because this is something that I hear a lot in couples counseling and I'm reframing the way I look at this now, which is that, you know, people will talk about, why didn't you tell me that you were upset by that in the moment? Like, why did you wait to tell me that it hurt you or it upset you? It, it can be really important to not talk about things when your emotion is high and your cognition is low. So you want to wait to work on problems when your emotion is low and your cognition is high. So that means out of the heat of the moment. Right. Right. So what you might want to do is start with why. Why does it matter to you that the dishes are done once a day or that the trash is taken out every day? 
um, what is needed daily? And have we divided up the things that needed daily? Have we divided up the things that take time weekly? Have we divided up the monthly tasks, the quarterly, the yearly tasks? So that we each have the same amount of 24 hours in a day. And then do something simple, like spend 10 minutes a day walking around the block and talking through what the day ahead is, you know, kind of like they would do these little at the office in uh, hospitals, we would do rounds or we would do what they'd call quarterback meetings. So before you start your shift, you get an idea of what happened the day before and what's to come, you know, mm -hmm. and so you're on the same page, but it's low emotion. It's not when you're in the middle of your shift and the shit hits the fan and you're all over the place and you can't see your ass from your elbow. And then you're trying to get mad at somebody about it. Like that is not the time to have the conversation. It's when emotions are low and cognition is high. And I loved that as a very practical application that we all could get better at doing. Yeah, yeah, does that make you know, sense? It, it not only does it make sense. I, again, I'm looking at my own life as a as a as a representative of our audience right now, and I'm looking at what we do here. Even our backyard, right? We've got Scotland Grove. Yes, yeah, and we Grove. have we have a fence that that separates the yard, the family yard, from the grove. And for most purposes, I'm in charge of the grove. Uh -huh. And, you know, getting rid of the water sprouts and fertilizing and harvesting. And cer certainly there's some overlap there. And Carolyn's in charge of the other part of the yard, which are the roses and the, the, uh -huh. the things like that, right? Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Um, that doesn't mean that, I mean, a good example is Carolyn usually, believe it or not, Carolyn goes around and cleans up before the gardeners get here. Yes. That, yes. that includes picking up dog poop because she doesn't think it. She does not think it's fair for the gardeners to run their mowers over the, over dog, the dog poop. poop. The gardener has said any number of times, "I don't care. I don't care. It's just fertilizer Carolyn, anyway." <laughs> Carolyn doesn't want them to have to do that. Periodically, I will go do the dog poop too because it's like now yes. it's ingrained in me, and I've got yes. some free time, um, even though it's kind of an unspoken delegation of duties. Yes. Uh, and now that I've got more free time around the house, right, I've gotten I'll, right. the water, the refrigerator for filter. Um, right. Right. Or you know, we kind of have these unspoken roles where right. I'm, I, as a male, I'm starting to do more. Yeah. And it, it it's again, a shift, a shift in priorities, right? Yes. 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 And, and I'm going to say this to everybody listening. And I know our audience is primarily female. So this will already <laughs> resonate with you, but I'm saying this to all the men who listen to this. And that is anytime you catch yourself and it's like, my job is more important than what you're doing at home because I'm yeah. the breadwinner. Right. I bring home the bacon. Right. Right. Anytime you get in that position, I want you to take a step back and I want you to ask yourself, why are you working in the first place? Yes, yes, for your family, and, probably. And, well, you would like to believe that it's for your I family. I would like if, to. <laughs> if, that's, if that's not the answer. But that might a, be a female got a, answer. <laughs> we got a different issue. Mm -hmm. um, and if the answer is I'm working to take better care of my family, yeah. then the next question is, then why are you treating them like shit while you're doing yeah. that? Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Because like, I certainly see where this gender difference is you know, really does flip on its head. So um, what they were pointing out in the documentary is that we can learn a lot from same-sex couples 
who don't divide based off of gender, but they divide more equally based off of time and either skill set or um, learning a skill set. Like just because you don't know how to do the dishes doesn't mean you can't learn how to do the dishes. Or if you don't know how to do the laundry, you can't learn how to, we're all capable. Like there's no gender difference in our brain or our capability of activities of daily living. Um, so there's plenty of examples where we are now seeing more stay-at-home dads because again, mm -hmm. you know, just so happens that the woman has the higher education and can bring home more income. And so we're seeing the reverse happening. And even then, uh, when there's a heavy, heavy bread breadwinner, there is value in being involved in your family. And so, in doing what, so as, your a, home. as a therapist, how do you suggest society as this evolving, aspiring thing, <laughs> right? This amorphous right. thing. Right. What do we do with the people that are still, as I just called them, troglodytes? And it, by the way, that's <laughs> not that's not male or female because there are male and females. But the two people I talked about earlier, one was one was male, one was female. Okay. So mm -hmm. it 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 it's completely it gender. Ge uh -huh. It's completely gender neutral. My question right. is, how do we, as we aspire to move into a better mode of societal fair play, right? What do we do with the folks that don't want to play the game? Yeah, it's a really good question. Um, you know, in the documentary, Katie Porter, who's the U.S. representative of California District Forty. 45, um, she was interviewed and said, even just in the House of Representatives, uh, when is our work week going to be done? Because I need to get home to my family. And she was told by people that, you know, she's the exception to the rule and that they can't work around her. And then they panned the U.S. rep, you know, the House of Representatives, they panned a picture and it was like almost all white males. Right. And so right. that is that is not the picture of our households anymore. So I think we need to throw some things in the lotto machine or the bingo machine and shake it up a little bit. Um, let's like, you know, first of all, anybody that doesn't want to play along, I would ask you, oh, this was um, one of my one of my couples where it is gender normative uh, male breadwinner, female home. I said to the male, I said, because um, some some women really do want to stay home with their kids, and that is like their heart's content. And some men really want to stay home with their kids, and they can't. They really want to be a stay at home, and so this is. But that's based off of preference, not based off of pressure. So that's important. Is this based off of preference or pressure? These duties. But with one of them, I said, when you're home with your child for four hours or eight hours alone, and your partner is out in the world doing things, running errands or whatever they're doing. How does it feel to you? And my husband, the husband in my practice, he's like, oh my God, I need a break. I need to talk to adults. I need, and I was like, well, then how do you think your partner feels yeah. when they're doing it 40 to 50 hours a week and they just want adult interaction and conversation? We need a little empathy for each other. So that's, that's my long story to say, if you don't want to play along, really talk to, you know, are you really happy in this relationship? Are you both happy with how things are? And maybe you need to talk about some stuff that you haven't realized, like, are you happy because the world has told you to be happy and you've been trained like this since you were a teenager? 
or are you sincerely at your heart, joyful and happy? I, I have an aunt who, who now is very active um, as a minister, but her, her husband was a minister growing up and she was a stay-at-home mom. She has the gift of, what do they call that? The gift of hospitality, where she loves to cook and put on parties and put on events. And she loves to organize these huge edu educational retreats. And she just wrote now that she's older, she herself is being asked to speak among women. And she's actually wow, become quite the minister of other, other women within her religious sect. And she just wrote me and sent me pictures of this hall that she was setting up from a women's convention or whatever. She's like, I got to get in the kitchen and I just see it as my life's work and my life's gift. And I'm not taking away from people. Yeah. So there's the preference that part. happiness, right? That's the preference regardless of gender, Wonderful. but is well, it regardless of gender or is it pressure? I love it. And I think that's a great way to end the show today is to start thinking what's driving you. What's the, what's yeah. the, what's the, the, motivator behind why you're doing what you're doing exactly um, exactly you've given me a lot to think about so oh, awesome uh, thanks for um, being willing next week we are we will be live again we're going to talk about the nine contemplations of atisha yes. uh going to be an interesting show i'm not sure everybody will be on board with it again <laughs> uh, kind of like my math show right uh, but I think it, 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 I, I know it's an important discussion and I Michelle, you and I've kind of chatted about it before. Super anything you want to, anything you want to leave with the audience before we call it a day? I just, yeah, I think I'm just going to reiterate, look at what your preferences are, not your expectations, your preferences, not your pressures. Yeah. And I want to underscore that we live in such a pliable world now. Um, not that we haven't always, but it's much more vocal. It's much more out there, right? It's, it's yeah. part there is to start looking at the rules you have in your own lives and ask yourself, where did those come from? Yes. I love that. Because you don't have to think like that anymore. No. All right. With that, thank you all for listening. It's been uh, our honor to be here with you. Please like, share, subscribe uh, on your favorite podcast platform let others know about us so we continue to grow and until next time be well bye-bye you've reached the end of another episode of keeping your together in a stressed world with michelle post and scott grossberg if you like our show we'd love for you to subscribe rate our broadcast and leave a review the podcast is for general information only and not intended to be legal or mental health advice nor the formation of a lawyer-client, nor therapist-patient relationship. Stay tuned for our next episode, and thank you for listening.